Welcome to the Mythic Life Podcast. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Uh, in today's episode, we're exploring what a mythic life is, and I'm being joined by a wonderful guest, both my wife and business partner, Sarah Faith Brummett. And today we are exploring what a mythic life is. A mythic life is free from the constraints of old stereotypes, led by the adventurous soul that is striving for joy, fulfillment of purpose, and the quest for higher growth and connection. A person who believes there is more than meets the eye, that pursues personal development, alternative medicine, lifestyles that are wanting to break free of the societal norms, and explore their mystical abilities. There is greatness within everyone and a soul desiring for joy. So thank you for joining me today, Sarah. <laughs> I am honored and thrilled to be here with you, honey. Um, I was just reflecting back on how often we get to play in creation, and I am so excited to behold this creation of this amazing podcast that you've been putting together. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So today I feel very uh, extra honored because I get to be in a little bit of the host position and I get to introduce you to your wonderful listeners. And I was just thinking of this story that in many ways exemplifies your journey. I was sitting with our daughter. Um, we have a blended family. Eric has two kids from his first marriage and we have two kids. And I was sitting with our wonderful Freya and she had uh, this action figure um, that Drew, our 13 year old had like got from storage or something. And she was asking about him and I looked and it was, you know, Harrison Ford's character, Han Solo. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out like, <laughs> how do I describe this character to Freya? Cause she sees that, you know, the, the gun on his hip and like, we raised her basically without watching TV and she's, she gets scared, you know, with the slightest hint of drama and any, any like animation. And so the, the first like description that came to me was like, Oh, he's, He's a good, bad guy. She's like, good, bad guy. And she's like trying to figure out what that means. And she decides after some pondering, I don't like this character. And dad gets home and he walks in the door and he sees her holding this character. And he, he, you know, you look at it and you basically say, oh, that's my favorite character. That's my favorite hero. And I see her like eyes like pop open, like trying to figure out she'd already like made this judgment call, right? Like, I don't like this character. And here is dad coming in. That's my favorite character. And you were like, he's the unexpected hero. And <laughs> like this to me exemplifies so much of your character because humans are not black and white. We are not good and bad. And there's a depth of your perception where you see the potential in all, all of us humans striving to live basically this mythic life. 
And I also like, it gave me a deeper insight into you because I think in some ways you see yourself and I hope our audience uh, gets to follow along as we dive deeper into your story, but like you see yourself as the unexpected healer. And so I'm really excited today (laughs) to like really highlight your story. It's an incredible story full of wonder and adventure and miracles very, very excited. So is it, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on my story before I like jump into your like official bio, Eric? Thank you for that intro. I find that um, (laughs) I really do love Han Solo. And I, I, it actually, it's interesting that this story is popping up because I was having a healing session this morning and I was doing process around an earlier time period of my life back in fifth grade. And I struggled in school and like I had a very unique way of struggling because I was very talented. I just didn't want to do the work. And the reason why I wasn't wanting to do the work was because there was a lot happening that was really not being consciously embraced and supported through my father being sick with cancer. And so instead of working through it, what I would do is I would pretend and fake to be sick. And I would go to the nurse's office and ask to go home. I didn't want to be at school. And I would go home. My mom was working. She would have to leave work and come pick me up. And she would take me to the movie rental place to rent a movie and take me home and leave me at home with the the rented movie. And then she'd go back to work. And I remember one time when I would get home, I rented Star Wars and I talked her into letting me rent two of the Star Wars movies. All three of them were already out. And I was so enthralled with the story. And at that age, of course, like probably most boys, it was all about Luke and, you know, wanting to actually be the Jedi. And honestly, now in, in how the Jedi is being depicted, like, I don't want to be the Jedi. That that seems boring. Like this Zen have to give up family and like be free of emotions. And like, it's so controlling and like old stereotype. Definitely the Han Solo is is the character I most resonate with. So that's so interesting. He's having more fun, Eric. Yeah. And I think it's a a more honest um, experience of this human experience of the hero's quest. You know, it's like he's free. He has a moral compass, but he's also okay, you know, bending some rules and breaking some laws like. He, he lives by his own code, but he, he still has a code. And because of his genuine heart and being passionate and a lover, still has that compass of what is right. I love that. Well, it was a big awakening for me into, what is it, 13 years getting to know you on a deeper level. So I, I really appreciated that. So I want to read this official bio of Eric because people 
you know, when you meet him, you're probably not going to realize right away that this guy is, in my book, a metaphysical genius. He's an amazing healer. Maybe only when you get a glimpse, when you look in his eyes. So Eric Brummett has been practicing metaphysics and has been working as a medical intuitive and healer for more than 22 years. He's trained more than 3,000 healers, worked on over 15,000 clients. And Eric uh, mainly worked, we were in New York City for a good part of that time. We recently moved up to a little wonderful town in New Paltz. He's taught in oncology wards, has been hosted and sought after as a teacher in over seven countries. And really your story, you know, I think it would be really awesome for your listeners if you could share with us your story of how you came to New York City. Because if you met Eric in his teens, you probably never would have thought he would have ended up there. and you probably also might not have thought he would have ended up as a healer. So I would love for you to share with your listeners, Eric, how your hero's journey began. Do you mind taking us through that? Yeah. So I really got the blessing of experiencing being a home birth. My parents were returned to nature, beatnik hippies following a lot of the the movement in California of returning to nature in, in the late 60s, early 70s, following people like Gary Snyder up into the Sierras, and they homesteaded. They they got a raw piece of land, and my father cleared it and built a home on it, and had our family. And um, you know, so I was born way out in the woods, no electricity um, for my first few years, only until I was about three and a half though. Yet it was a real sense of blessing to be surrounded by these highly educated, very creative, very free people. And then when I, I think I was three. I lived in Hawaii for a year. I only have a few memories of that. But um, then we ended up having to leave our home and move down to the Bay Area because my father got sick with cancer. And we were living on my uncle's boat and wondering where we are really going to land for his treatments. And my mom was getting nervous about my dad's health being dependent on him. And so she wanted to go back to college and through a friend of our families, we ended up moving to Santa Cruz, California. And that really was where I grew up was in Santa Cruz. And Santa Cruz is a very beautiful, unique town. It's a beach surf town with a lot of history to it of just this culture of like really liking nature it being a surf community, it having a lot of alternatives, but also it's it was a very basic traditional like surf culture is what I ended up growing up in and had some really beautiful friendships. And yet going through my life in that way, it didn't seem to really properly 
fit. It didn't feel really fulfilling. And I still embraced it. It was my culture. It's where I went to school. It's the friends I grew up with. And this whole mentality of like, you find a career and a job that you can easily take time off and go surfing. You would go out and ride bikes and ride skateboards and go on wild adventures in nature. And that was my teens. And so I was surrounded by these people that made their lives around it. Big wave surfers and like people that could actually survive that way. Like my brother was one of the original crews that was surfing Mavericks and doing toe in surfing and like wild and rugged and crazy lifestyles. And, um, so having that as a bit of the culture around me and the idols, like this is one of the things that we explore in mythic life is that we do live through these, these pathways. You know, we look up to our teachers, our idols, and we aspire to be like them. And so for me, I embraced it. I, I loved being really physical. I loved surfing. I loved riding bikes and I loved skateboarding. And yet, there was still something missing. It felt like I was more putting on a suit, you know, pursuing becoming a fireman, going back to college and like wanting to pursue that similar to what my friends were doing. And it was perfect. It fit for them, but it wasn't something that was speaking to me. And I was slowly not just processing the grief of my father dying from cancer when I, in my teens and going through my wild adventures, but really was facing this place of feeling unfulfilled. And so it was a complete surprise and probably is still surprising to many of those people in Santa Cruz who knew me that I would leave because everything was actually starting to flow for me. You know, I had a good place I was living at. I got a better job that could actually start to sustain me. I was like actually starting to have growth out of, out of my adolescence. And those are all places that I really struggled at before yet in the midst of it, going to school and getting the job and having my place, like I felt alone and I felt this emptiness. And the only thing that was really exciting was when I would get together with friends and put on some classic rock music and start to have deeper philosophical conversations as we drew in art books. Like that was like in the end, what was so fulfilling on a certain level. So out of everything that was manifesting, everything that was happening, then I was in a depression and I was starting to run into health issues and it forced me to have to look at a lifestyle change. I had to really look at what I was doing for my life and what I was doing for my health and what I was doing for my mental health. And um, I found my way to this incredible healing technique. You know, it was... Could I just intercede here? I'm just wondering for our listeners, like how much is important to know, like you said your brother was a big wave surfer. Like they were parting pretty hard. And like, that's 
that was kind of like your dad was out of the picture. Your dad had passed away already. Like that was what you like an example of a road to follow. Like how much of that was a part of this early teenage angst, but also depression and and loss and disconnection. I mean, it is even till today, still a party scene in that way. I mean, that, that was a, a factor in where I was. It was something really built into the culture. I mean, I remember going to high school parties and half the party was these grown men in their thirties and forties still partying the same way all the teenagers were and hanging out all together. And like, you know, we, we really had this culture that had its arrested development and yet had its pecking order to it. So what my idols were, were people that pushed the limits of life. And it was really hard on, on my health. Some of those things I saw and didn't pursue you know, and saw them go through major life changes. You know, maybe in one of these episodes, we might be able to get Daryl Verosco, the flea on here, where he could tell his story of how he went into such heavy duty drugs and at the same time won the Mavericks contest three years in a row. And so they kind had of to have his coming you, of age awakening. They showed you kind of this rougher road that they were going down, but were like, don't go as far as I'm going kind of thing. Yeah, they did. There was that place like going into my adolescence, like my father was sick with cancer when I was really young that got us to move to Santa Cruz. And then he it went into remission and he was doing well. And then when his cancer came back, I was only 10 years old. And over the course of four years was having to battle through it and, and struggle with it until he passed. So going through that experience of, you know, him being sick and then him passing away as like a launch pad into my adolescence really sent me into a more spiritual place of questioning life. And it's something that now being a father and having teenagers, I do see a difference between what is true depression and when there is a questioning and testing the waters of life, you know, like when you are like exploring that perimeter, that edge. So there was that grief and there was sorrow with that of him passing. But then at the same time, I was stepping into that age of adolescence that I was exploring and questioning life. I was going on 30 mile hikes in the middle of the night with friends and exploring, you know, psychedelics and us going out night surfing when there's no moon at surf spots that are right next to a cliff and like doing things that you would go, that's just downright dangerous. Why would you ever try and do that? You know, like going spelunking in caves with flashlights that we didn't change the batteries in and two of the three flashlights going out and four of us with one flashlight having to navigate these networks of caves that people have become lost in, you know, like 
getting to places in the cave where we could be in a place. And then all of a sudden we started to chant and ohm and feeling the crystals inside the cave vibrate. And we knew they were crystals because you could put your flashlight to them and they would glow. So having these wild experiences and that was our, our spiritual practice was testing the waters in our relationship with nature and pushing the limits in that way. You know, I, I grew up with parents that they went through their religious rebellion and never really held a spiritual practice for us or beliefs because they were fighting out of the feeling of oppression from their upbringings. And so when they did their return to nature and embracing their freedom, it held this open place for, for us as kids which was this, this yo-yo or this pendulum swing, right? So I probably could have used some structure system to give me discipline. And instead my mind, my spirit, my emotions never really had that container for it. And I was trying to discover myself with all of this culture coming at me and all of these idols and their arrested development and rugged ways, like you live through physical and you do all these things. It was, it was just at a place of being unfulfilling that it was time for me to have to answer the call. It was really a rite of passage. I went through a health crisis and I had to find my way to healers and practitioners that could help me other than just doctors, because I wasn't responding to medicine the way I was supposed to. I had a surgery. I was diagnosed with diabetic. I was not responding to insulin and had such severe resistance due to the infections in my body and ended up developing cataracts in both of my eyes by the time I was 20 years old. Like it was, it was really rough and intense on my body. So finding my way to learning healing techniques and receiving acupuncture and going to practitioners and herbalists like helps me find some core strength, some anchor in myself and gave me space to actually contemplate. And in that reflection, I really realized I need to change. I need to take a step to discover what's next. And I remember meditating and doing my prayer and doing my manifestation and just really hearing that clear message. It's time to leave. It's time to go. It's like, where should I go? And just hearing this date, August 15th. And I was like, oh, okay, August 15th. And I was like, well, where do I need to be on that date? All I heard was, it doesn't matter, just be there. <laughs> so I had to think of what to do. And I was like, well, I've trained in this technique and I could use more study there and it's cheap to live in Idaho. And so I upped and left Santa Cruz. And Can we just pause for a second just to acknowledge you heard the call, you know, like you heard a voice literally tell you, you have to leave. <laughs> 
<laughs> and be there by August 15th. Like what? That's amazing. Like, I don't know if there's even space for us to like go deeper into that right now, but I just need that to be highlighted. Do you think that that clarity comes to people? Like when the call is there, is it that clear? No, it mostly isn't. (laughs) Could you maybe just highlight for people if the call isn't like, it might be that, but what are other experiences that they might recognize in themselves of when the call is calling, you know, like when God's knocking on your door, your angels tap you on the shoulder. Like, can you maybe just share a little bit about what that might look like for people? That wasn't the first calling. There were lots of opportunities for me to hear that side of myself. I didn't know how to hear it. And it was manifesting through first off, not feeling like truly authentic and being with people and feeling kind of isolated, feeling the emotions of depression and emptiness. I was constantly pursuing jobs that I couldn't maintain. I couldn't really function in and kept losing work and being without work. My housing kept feeling like I was running into issues, like either with people I was living with or not really having like the right provisions for myself. So really that sense of calling was constantly there as whispers, you know, showing up in these different places of thoughts, sensations in my body, emotions, lifestyle struggles that kept saying, this isn't the life that's meant for you. That's not what we're wanting. It's not what we're wanting. And I had to keep moving through different versions of the call. You know, it it became a thing of that calling kept whispering through these different ways, through emotion, sensation, lifestyle struggles. And it kept getting louder until I think that level of myself hitting an override button and causing a situation of crises that I had to listen. And in going through opening up to my needs, it created space where I could hear it clearly. And even when I heard it clearly, it wasn't fully cognitive. It was intuitive. I still had to have the sense of courage and faith to be able to trust in the future. And what gave that to me was really a gift from that culture from Santa Cruz of pushing the limits and that bravery. We were talking about that of it's like you you have through the stories you shared with me you really have an edge of like comfortability in what other people would consider terrifying (laughs) it's like it's like you you you're comfortable I I don't want to say dancing with the devil but dancing you know 
on the edge is, and I don't know if that's because of your astrological sign or if it's just, as you said, like this culture, but that level of bravery that you have, I think that is a quality that you do need to have a sense of, if you don't have bravery, at least have a sense of courage. You know, we have a distinction between that, like bravery is, you know, not having fear in some ways. Courage is recognizing you have fear, but you're taking those little baby steps to like stretch your comfort zone. So I think that's beautiful that you're saying like Mm -hmm. this wild and rowdy culture that you grew up in, you know, like having big wave surfing and having these crazy adventures with your friends endowed with you also the capacity to say yes to the call it did like on one sense it could hold you back on another sense it can propel you forward and that's like where we talk about like do you find that there's always this double-edged sword of you know the gifts and the burdens yeah there is always that element of vice with a virtue i guess and I think that's something that I do like to look for is recognizing that even within a vice, there is a virtue and in a virtue, there is a vice. When I work with people, when I explore, you know, life isn't this black and white, simple, clear template, a roadmap to joy, happiness, spiritual connection, growth is really wild and unique and that it's a beautiful path for, for each and every person that, yeah, we have these archetypal, you know, structures that give us roadmaps yet our path and our experience through them is, is meant to be unique. It's, it's meant to really, be a beautiful raw experience of life and um, holding that as a value, I think perpetuates me both in my personal life, but also in the way I approach my work as keeping me moving forward and evolving, you know? So having that, that gift of willingness of the bravery, because you know, something has to actually open the door, not just recognize the door and then take the step through it. Led me to moving to New York City, which even in hindsight, usually in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, of course. You know, even in hindsight, I'm like, wait, why did I choose that? Like it never felt like a fit and yet it was absolutely perfect. So tell me why, tell our listeners, why was this perfect? Well, I mean, here is a person, you know, speaking of myself, who was born out in nature without electricity, growing up with these morals and values of a family of against the system, rebel, embracing freedom, return to nature, wild out in nature to this rough, rugged, small town that like close to San Francisco, I'd go to the city and I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't have fun. Like I had a judgment 
movement towards big cities and then ending up in possibly the most famous one, you know, it's like so hilarious. And here I, I was, I was 23 years old moving to Manhattan with next to nothing. I mean, I had all my old surfer t-shirts and clothes and Ugg boots and, you know, skater sneakers and, you know, holes in my clothes and no college degrees or experience in business. You know, every job I had was like either in construction or in restaurants where I think the last job I had was waiting tables in Idaho where they only paid us $2 and 50 cents an hour in tips to moving to New York city and going, well, I'm going to start a healing practice and not knowing how to even connect with a single person that would be interested in working with a medical intuitive, intuitive healer and stepping into sessions and going, well, you have to have a rate that's respectable. So I started my, my sessions at $111 a session for an hour and working out of a healing center. And I remember walking into sessions and seeing people walk in like men in their forties in suits that were lawyers and wall street people and people who are like working on SNL and people that are like working in these big places, editing MTV shows and stuff like that. And producers. And like, I was like, well, these are professional people. Like, Oh my gosh. I don't even know how to speak professionally. I was so terrified to holding their hands and out of that complete terror, just going, please, God, you have to heal them because they're paying me for this. You know, like that's how I was stepping into my practice. And I'm just imagining you this (laughs) surfer dude. Like, so we're both from California and you know, I'm the LA Valley girl and you're the Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz surfer dude. And we definitely had our perspectives, right? Like South and NorCal, even though you're technically not NorCal, but like just imagining you there in New York with these profesh New York city people in your skater shoes and, Oh man, what I would have paid to have seen those days, Eric. (laughs) So you, I mean, that must've been like, I can only imagine the terror and fear and the pressure that you had. And like, I think we kind of skipped over too. like, obviously by then you've mentioned Idaho a couple of times. Idaho is where the founder of Theta Healing uh, had her center at the time, Vianna Steibel. Uh, By then you had trained with her. You'd had a transformational session with her that completely healed your depression and gave you a vision of what you might create in your life. So you had technique, yeah. but there, but you also had talent, I think. And, you know, I, I don't know if we want to like tap upon that more of like the courage it took to take this step. It was not matching the culture that you grew up in whatsoever you know, 
if you'd stayed in that town, you might have ended up, as you said, in construction or firefighter. I think at one point you were going to join like the Air Force or something, but couldn't because of finding out you were diabetic. Mm-hmm. So by then, like you had the technique, right? You had some tools. I had the the tools and I had personal experience and I had the encouragement from my teacher who introduced me as an assistant to people. So I had the belief of others as well around me before I started my practice. I think that's one thing you told me. I was like, how did you believe in yourself to do this? And I remember you saying one time was like, well, I would do work on them and they'd get better. And they gave me belief in myself. Yeah. Like you were terrified, but you would do the work and then they actually just would get these amazing results. And then that's kind of where you started to develop confidence. Absolutely. And I had a lot of backgrounds that gave me previous experience going into the technique. You know, I, I went to a, traveling school based in Est that was very, very focused on language and body language. And when it came to more the psychological work of the technique, I had a comfort of digging, uh, of discovering subconscious beliefs in people um, because I knew how to listen. And when you bring active listening into intuitive practice, I I had a fascination with health in the body. I was taking some classes around anatomy, physiology, you know, so I always had that fascination. And some of that comes out of my genetics. You know, my father actually was a medic in the military. He wanted to pursue possibly becoming a doctor. Instead, he, he found his way with construction and went more into his art form of, of being a general contractor was super talented there. But this is the thing is that I do believe that we really choose this path and we don't choose this path without really armoring ourselves and loading up with the tools that we need. You know, that can be personal characteristic of being kind. It could be um, a creativity. It can be somebody that is a really deep emotional feeler that can also be genetic traits and cultures that we choose to launch ourselves into. So, you know, I really had all of these aspects that I was able to bring into learning a healing technique that allowed for me to propel into launching my practice. And I felt that spiritual support at that point. I had that faith, you know, that things can manifest and create. So going through launching my practice in Manhattan, like it didn't feel like I had to do much other than do the service, you know, step into teaching, step into sessions. And of course, there were challenges along the way with that. You know, I, I had to really overcome a lot of the intimidation of being on stage. You know, teaching is not something that is necessarily easy in that way when you're teaching 
in the structure of, of a healing workshop, it really is a performance in some certain ways. And I had stage fright. I was terrified of having to give lectures, especially. And so thank God I grew up listening to storytellers where I was born up in the foothills of the Sierras, Nevada city, grass Valley. Like they actually have every year a storytelling festival where they invite in storytellers from all over the world. And I remember being there as a little kid and in the, there was the daytime session and then the evening session and you would sit there and you would bring your blankets and you would bring your snacks and you would sit there and you, and you would be completely enthralled in these stories. And I remember when I was training with, with Viana and I was working at her, her center, she'd be on break and she'd sit there and she would look exhausted and she would look at me and go, well, Eric, tell me a story. I'd be like, huh? Like, what kind of story you want to hear? What, what should I tell you? She's like, I don't care. Make it up. I want to hear a story. Entertain me. Viana always told us people learn best from stories. Yeah. And that is one thing that I love in your classes is you really tell a fantastic story, Eric. And you see the light turn on in people's eyes when you tell a story. So they really start to integrate the work. It's like it becomes like they're knitting it. You know, like they might be knitting it to make connections of how this relates into their life, how they could actually use this work and and how it actually can be applied. So I, I really see that from you. So I know I'm just going to fast forward because I, I have my my I want to get to a certain place with our listeners. There's a certain point. Um, at the time you were working with your, in your first marriage, you guys were partners working together. There was a point where you were teaching, I think it was like two classes a month. So two, three-day workshops a month. You were having, what was it like 90 clients a month? Like you were on max overload. You really built a successful um, private practice. And then what happens next? Um, and, and basically, we're working as a medical intuitive in New York City, right? I was working as a medical intuitive, intuitive healer, and was doing space clearings and teaching courses and started to become hosted and travel on top of it. And had my two older kids, I hit a burnout. I hit a level of exhaustion. I love being of service. And when you're in that place, it can be fulfilling and rejuvenative. Um, But I didn't have a real lifestyle balance to it. I didn't have a real holder container for it. And so doing all the work as an entrepreneur and doing the booking, the, the financials, the marketing, the outreach, the designing of 
of lectures and talks on top of teaching the workshops and ordering the books and like it it's so many hats that as soon as we added the the parental hat to it i reached an exhaustion and there really wasn't a giving back to myself there wasn't this i'm going to grow in other places right i i didn't have any personal hobbies or interests that I was really doing as anything consistent. And so I started to have this exhaustion and and staleness come in and it wore me down in a way to where I wasn't enjoying the work as much. And I hit that next wave of growth where everything had to collapse. You know, my marriage collapsed. We grew apart. We weren't compatible anymore. We didn't co-parent well. It wasn't working to work together well. I felt miserable in the city. I didn't develop a lot of friendships. Like every relationship was me intuiting them and reading them and doing healings on them and networking with them and people becoming my students and like my life was consumed with the work I was doing. So one thing about Manhattan is that it can eat you alive and you have to love the city. You have to be out in it, you know, like enjoying the culture of it. There's so many aspects. There's the museums, there's all the restaurants, there's all the shows, there's all the music, there's all the features of the city that is like, will feed you energy and feed you life if you're enjoying them. And what was feeding me was being of service to the city rather than really embracing and and experiencing it. For me, my escape was always going into nature. So I'd go to central park a lot, you know, I'd walk over to the Hudson river and that was like my breath of fresh air that was giving back to myself, but there wasn't enough of it. And I started realizing like, I'm feeling suffocated. I'm feeling a lack of life. And I wanted, you know, more social around me. I wanted more friendships. I wanted more people that I wasn't in service to. And so it cultivated into a crisis. I went into a separation and divorce and had to like re-envision my life. And for a moment, I even packed up my bags and drove across the country to move back to California. And I think that was one of the biggest spiritual jokes I have ever faced in my life was driving back to California. I remember crossing the Arizona border, I-15, pretty sure it was I-15, and stopping and looking at my bank account. And when I left Santa Cruz to move to Idaho, you know, the reason why I made that decision was 
well, I feel unprepared to launch my practice in Santa Cruz. And there's all of these, you know, alternative people here that are really established and are like people more my parents' age. Like I never felt like they would respect me in my early twenties and I didn't have money to invest in myself. And I had, you know, some college debt and I was like, okay, well, I'll move to Idaho where it's cheap and I'll save up money and I'll return to, to California and launch my practice when I have X number of dollars in the bank. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, 10,000, that should be enough to launch my practice. I should be able to really establish myself with $10,000. And, you know, now it's years later, I think it was like eight years later. Was that like 2008 or something like that? Yeah, I think it was 2008 or maybe it was uh, 2009, the winter of 2009, February. And we'd just gone through a huge crisis, right? Like not only were you going through marital crises, but like the big crash happened. And I mean, like people are going through some hard stuff. And I drive across the border to California with the intention of moving back to California. And I look in the bank account and exactly to the penny, $10,000 is in my bank account. And I just started laughing because at that point, it was meaningless. That didn't matter because I was already feeling established with my practice. And there's so much happening in my life. The last thing I was going to like freak out about was, you know, if I have a couple thousand in the bank account or not. But this is the thing with, with manifesting. It's like our mind always tries to tell us what we think we want. And yet the mind never really knows, you know, like we're always trying to make sense of something so that we can put it in a box. And, um, you know, I, I moved back to California, but I immediately went back. I was like, I can't be here. Nothing was working and nothing started working again until I returned. And my whole mindset was like, well, here I am separating, getting a divorce. I have two kids. Like I can't afford two households. Manhattan's so expensive. And I was like, well, I I need to be back. I have to be back in New York. I need to be close to my kids. Like I have to figure it out and make something work. And so I, I moved back and magically had one of the biggest gifts I've ever received open up where I was literally given an apartment that would fit my family and was invited to stay there at no rent. You know, I got to live in this place that all I had to do was pay the maintenance on the building. And it was, I think, the cheapest I've ever had in the way of housing. And it was only a couple blocks from Central Park with a rooftop deck that you could see the park from. And to me, a, a much more fun, calmer energy of Manhattan. Well, it really was like a saving grace to you getting to have a relationship with your kids, your older kids, and, you know, definitely answer to a prayer. Yeah. Definitely an answer to a prayer. 
I think there was that, but I think there was also like what the next chapter was supposed to be about, you know, yeah. I was in this entrepreneurship and like so much of a sense of purpose has been in being of service and having to do so many of the hats was at a place where like, I just couldn't do it anymore. So that's when we opened our center and launched our, our healing center in Manhattan. And so we had a healing center for about 10 years in Manhattan. And do we have time to share? I know we kind of went over about this next chapter that you're excited for and, and really what you're, how you want to be of service now. We do, you know, I, I remember opening up the center. It took a couple of years to really open it up and establish it and brand and all that and get the contracts and everything and partnerships and going through all those learning curves of, of hiring and firing. And <laughs> I feel called to share. We had our, our wonderful business partner, Tara Greenway, who we opened the center with yes. and just went on a wonderful and huge adventure with our Theta NYC healing center in New York city. Um, and I just, I kind of remember this place for you where again, like there was a new inspiration coming to you, like how you wanted to serve. Um, can you share with, with our listeners of what, again, like what that felt like for you and what that became of how you wanted to serve as a healer? So up until that point, you know, I was teaching all those classes and had my private practice doing all those sessions and would, was being hosted places, you know, teaching up in Calgary and um, Canada and, and Mexico and Morocco hadn't happened at that point, but like, or, or Denmark, um, we stepped into opening our center and to me, it was like, okay, three practices all joined together will be bigger and we'll be able to afford, you know, the employees and things like that. And I remember us opening our doors and expecting for clients just to manifest and be called in as they always have been. And, and I sat there and I was like, where are the clients? Where are the clients? And like my practice pretty well stopped out of the three of us, I was the most established going into our partnership and we were relying on, you know, my practice to kind of be a major part of the foundation of that. And all of a sudden, like I wasn't getting more than one or two clients a week. I was like, wait, what's happening? What is going on? And I would do the healing technique of manifesting and trying to call things in. I was reaching out. I was trying to network. I was doing all these actions, but there's this place of like in the manifesting. And it's something that you'll hear about in another episode with, with hero was like our manifestation was like needing to receive based on need. And and there's kind of like, that's not how manifesting works. You don't get to be that parasitical energy of like, I need, I need, I need like sucking it. 
to be of service is to actually have light and to be inspired to be of service and having that survival, that fear wasn't manifesting. And I sat down and I I felt creator. I felt that divine influence and heard, ah, you can't do it the way you did it before. It's not just going to manifest. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I just felt that inspiration come in me. And, and, you know, I, I always say like, oh, I heard a voice. Like sometimes it's a voice. Sometimes you have to like really navigate that filter and construct the message more. And I remember realizing I had to explore what would feel exciting. What would that next adventurous step be? And I was really wanting more community. I was really wanting more of a relationship with colleagues and things like that. We've been training all these people for so many years but it never was coming together of practice groups happening or anything like that of an actual culture developing around. And I just felt and heard that, well, it's time to start supporting others and creating their practices. You're supposed to start mentoring people. I was like, oh, of course. I'm not just working on healing people. I'm now being of service to helping others help others. And as soon as I started to put pen on paper of outlining what I've experienced of what's needed in a practice and to help people work through that, that's when I started to channel that history of the healers of like the different archetypes of, of the healers and, and I reached out and invited people to join a mentorship program. As soon as I set that intention, as soon as I put pen on paper and started working on designing it, all of a sudden the floodgates opened back up for clients to start coming in. And it definitely brought in some light into our practice, into our center. And um, I got to really take that step of, of supporting others in launching their practices. I'm, I'm curious. It's kind of like parents. Is that what you said? Well, (laughs) it's something I'm very excited about because I remember my dad being my coach for soccer league one year. And like, I loved playing soccer and just, you know, this, this past fall, like watching the world cup with Freya, like, I think I will be more excited about watching her play soccer than playing it myself. When I see a student of mine get the support to successfully launching a practice and getting their feet wet in a professional where they charge for a session and watching them light up, I think is more exciting than doing a session and watching somebody's cancer disappear. Like, honestly, it's, it's another level of fulfillment. And also like, I, what, like sometimes it's the ones you don't expect, you know, like the accountant and now like, Oh, they're seeing 15 people a week and getting results, you know, or 
the wedded fashion and like, oh man, they're an excellent, they're like really good at belief work. You know, I, I'll send my clients to that student, you know, it's yeah. like the, the ones you least expect sometimes are like the most fabulous healers. I love that idea that you get, that you're, you're lit up from seeing your students step into their own practice just really quickly, just because I think it would be so fascinating for our listeners. What's this archetype of the healer, the healer archetypes that you mentioned? Because maybe we could do another episode just on that. I think that would be really cool, but give like a little taste. As, as a little taste, we, um, we have levels of ourself, right? We have our, our conscious mind. We have our super conscious um, you know, our higher self, soul, however you want to define it, um, divine God self, you know, whatever that is. And then we have our subconscious. And so there's really these three levels of consciousness of self in this way. And um, what I've found is that if we are tapping into to a higher calling, or if we are just consciously pursuing with action a path we are activating what we carry as programs in our subconscious you know in in data healing it's our subconscious beliefs i refer to to them more as programs than belief structures personally because they're more like computer programs right they they run a construct of energy and there's always such judgment at it of like our subconscious has negative limiting programs needs to be reprogrammed. There's also really good programs in it. And at the same time, if you take away right and wrong and, and the black and white of it, they're just programs that are manifestations that we experience. They're experiential. And what I found is that as I've had many students launch their own practices. This is before I was mentoring. I kept seeing similar things happen to their lives. Certain things happen that was causing struggle. Like either they were running into complete blocks of being able to share with others and tell people about their practice, or they would hide and be kind of that closet healer while holding onto their career, or they would go so deeply into their practice that it made their relationship not work. And they started to separate from their personal relationship. If it's their husband or wife or a significant person and watching these manifestations, I started to explore it and realize that this modern idea of a healing practice, as I say with quotes is unlike anything our, cultures have ever seen before, right? There, there's this history of like kind of the tribal mentality of healers. There's the, the larger societal concepts of it. And they had oaths and vows. They had lifestyles that were necessary. And at those times in those eras, the structure, the container for the practice actually supported their practices, and made it so that they worked with what the societal norm was then. But they didn't have cars then. They didn't have airplanes then. They didn't have phones then. You know, they didn't have restaurants and markets then. Like, so a lot of the 
the design of these histories of the roles of healers and the placement in society they are in don't fit what we see as a modern way. So I started to explore that and outline what programs kind of go with those different mindsets. You know, some people they'll launch a practice and they'll go, Oh, I need to find a partnership. I have to do it with others. And, you know, that was a big thing with the history of, for example, witches, right? Like there was never a witch on their own. They were always in a, a witch's coven, right? Like if they were herbalists or if they were midwives or if they were doing spells out in the woods, you know, like whatever it was, they would only be in their power when they were with others. And so before they start teaching, they all want to partner up with somebody. They'll find somebody. What I hear you saying is that when someone declares they're going to become a healer, Mm -hmm. what happens is these programs that they carry on a genetic, you know, we talk about the four levels, genetic, historic, core, soul level, get activated of all their belief systems of what it is to be a healer, the things you have to give up, the things you have to do, the prescriptions, the oath, the vows, and they actually activate in their current life. And this can, in essence, be great, but it also can like completely wreak havoc on this budding healer, you know, like if, if they have old vows of, you know, what's coming to my mind is the holy person who, you know, had to be celibate, you know, to be close to God or had to be impoverished to be close to God. All of a sudden, these belief systems are being activated and they're going to actually start manifesting from these limiting belief systems of of spiritual holy people of of what the healer was. Yeah, that's incredible. And it it's part of what defines success. So we're asking for, I want to launch a healing practice and be successful. Well, success will look like what? It's these programs that go, well, this is going to give you success, right? Like there's these beliefs. Well, you've only made it when you start getting attacked, you know? Right. So, so all of a sudden you're inviting in, you know, being attacked in lawsuits and you're worried about, you know, waivers and contracts, you know, like, or, or I think, you know, another one that's coming to mind is jealousy, right? Is like when other people become jealous of your practice, you know, those are really negative belief systems that we do have to learn to, to heal and move through, Mm -hmm. um, such good stuff. So you incorporate, so you bring this into your work with your mentees, um, and I feel like now, like you, you really step into mentoring other healers, maybe like how many for the last, has it been seven years now? Probably a little bit longer than that. Okay. So you've been mentoring healers nine years. Oh, really long time. More formally. Yeah. I feel like now in the last two years, we did close our healing center. Um, in many ways, such a divine intervention. We had such a high overhead of rent and we closed right before in 2019, before the pandemic 
hit New York City. And this really launched us into a new discovery of who are we and what is the next chapter. So it would be great, I think, to just share again with our listeners, really this birthing of mythic life and why, why mythic life? Mm. Why mythic life, Eric Brummett? (laughs) What's so important about this in regards to this next gift, this next way of being of service to people? We really went on a journey to discover that, didn't we? Um, Yeah. You know, sometimes our greatest failures really can be a blessing in that way where it challenges us to have to go into discovery. And, you know, we had our center and letting go of that and letting go of its name really made us look at what intention we wanted with our work. and the way that we define a mythic life is realizing that with these three levels of consciousness, there is that higher self, super conscious soul, intuitive connection with creator of the divine, you know, however you want to put it, this highest level of self that chose this life. And that when we, can break free in our choice and our free will to be able to move that free will up into our higher self where we are living a soul led life that is a life that has a lifestyle that feeds the soul and that can be anything that that can be i'm going to be an entrepreneur and and launch a company that could be i'm going to leave my corporate job and garden that can be i am healing generations of my ancestors as i tend to my autistic child you know like a mythic life can be even the small mundane aspects but it's about where it's being driven from, where is our free will. And so when we can break free of these limiting constructs of what a life is meant to look like and realize that we have complete choice on every level, that is a mythic life. And um, that's what I want to support people in. And, you know, by sessions, by workshops, through our membership, them having the tools and the support and the process of shedding those layers and re-establishing where their core is, is really the intention of, of the work that I'm focused on now and how I am supporting people. And, and sometimes they go through healing crises and they need the support of a healer to heal physically or to help lift them and balance them from their depression. But in the end, what's going to help them take the next step is supporting people in having that discovery, having that, oh my gosh, I have such opportunity. So that's the work now. 
Yeah, that is, I mean, it's been so fulfilling to watch you step in to be this guide for people. And, you know, we're, we're on the journey alongside all of our amazing clients and students of discovering and rediscovering the mythic life. And it's, as you said, like, um, I'm really excited for our listeners uh, to listen to our next episode where Eric is interviewing a colleague of ours. Like it is a labyrinth and there isn't a straight line. The beauty of it is finding the the wisdom in your heart. You know, that's really what I, I hear you say is like return to the intention of your heart. And from that, you discover the authentic mythic life. Because we could have so many ideas of what a mythic life is. It's really about this authenticity, right? Absolutely. I hope... Eric, that you invite me back on your podcast. Um, I hope I'm invited again to come and interview you because there's so many more fun topics or maybe not interview you, but get to be in conversation um, and dialogue with you and exploration with you um, that we hit upon in this amazing podcast. Am I invited back again? Absolutely. It's, (laughs) It's been such a blessing to have you on with me here for this first episode. And I really do look forward to having you back again as we continue to move through having so many incredible guests coming up. Yeah, you really do. Congratulations on this huge launch. I'm so excited for your listeners. We are Mythic Life. Free thinkers, deep feelers, courageous trailblazers. We own our myth with our vibes, how we think, feel, and act. We believe that love is a given, not something earned. That spiritual is sexy, kindness is cool, and earth is sacred. That everybody has superpowers and life is too boring without magic. We walk our talk and when life gets real, we heal. We choose our path and make it epic. So thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. If you are enjoying this, you can subscribe to this podcast. For more about Mythic Life, you can join us at mythiclife.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Mythic Life or join the community at The Mythic Life Experience. You can also follow us on youtube at the mythic life episodes come out on the second and fourth monday of every month our next episode we will have the guest hero from phoenix blessing and thank you everyone for joining us today